Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to Mapping the College Edition, a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I am still your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA. That's Musical Theater College Auditions. And today we have got a juicy, juicy, juicy show lined up for you. The wonderful Alex Brightman is on the show and gives some really great insight into his take on the comedic process of developing a role. I think you're really going to enjoy that. And yes, holy crap, I got married. Yeah, it was awesome. The whole family is still on cloud nine, and we are so appreciative of all the love sent our way, including by so many of you, our MTCA family, and our Map in the College Edition listeners. So thank you for that. We're sending that love right back to you. And We're full of love right now in this time of our lives. Um, I hope you all had wonderful holiday weekends. And for our seniors really diving into the school year, here we go. Uh, We just had our first MTCA mock auditions of the year and also just announced the schools for our private audition weekend in mid-December. So I hope you're all successfully planning out your audition landscape to try to use these months productively and set yourself up for that prime audition season in January and February. This is always a really full few months, but if you use them well, the new year can really be fun. I promise, I promise that is true. Speaking of fun, I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Alex. He really is a delight. You'll notice at the top, I mentioned that I'm reading his bio for a second time. I'm not going to subject you to the specifics of the comedy, but my wonderful substitute assistant uh, for this episode uh, somehow gave me the beginning of someone else's bio that I confidently read out to Alex before he was like, oh no, that's not me. I didn't go to school there. No, I didn't do that show. Uh, And it was very funny, but I was like, okay, we're going to take a second and try this again and figure it out. And we did. We did. We figured it out and it was all great. Um... Luckily, the conversation only goes upward from there. Uh, So I think you really enjoy this conversation with Alex Brightman. Let's get to it. Well, we are so excited to be joined by Alex Brightman, whose bio we'll be reading for a second time because of some grave errors in the first uh, reading. But Alex went to the Tisch School of the Arts for two years, and we'll talk about his training there. He's been on Broadway in shows like Glory Days, which is Glory Day, maybe, is what you're telling me. Yep, that's what we call uh, it. The Glory Day. Um, he was Bach in Wicked. He was uh, Michael Wormwood in Matilda the Musical. He originated Beetlejuice in Beetle- Beetlejuice, for which he received a Tony nom. Originated Dewey in School of Rock on Broadway, for which he received a Tony nom. He's been all over your TV and stuff like The Blacklist, Law and Order, <laughs> SVU, maybe, if any of these things are true. Yeah, um, they're all true. All true. Okay. Well, uh, uh, an interesting beginning there of your bio, but Alex, how are you doing? Welcome on the pod. We're so excited to see you. 
I'm fabulous. I'm happy to be here. It's I'm on I'm on vacation right now, so I'm Ooh. like I I planned kind of this little press day for uh, talking about you know Lou Berger and and the Wizard of Friendship and all that and and to chat with people about a- anything and everything. So I'm I'm happy to do this. It's kind of breaking up the uh, wonderful laziness that is yeah. this vacation. And I like to feel like vacation. I've done some. Yeah, I've done. Yeah. I feel like I've done something now. It so. makes me feel better about my life that you're not just living in a palace in New York. I was like, where could you be that you have these ceilings and this much light and this? No, this is a this is a rental that we saved a lot of uh, uh, money and we ate peanut butter jelly sandwiches for weeks to to kind of make this happen. So no, no, no palace, regular apartment that we rent in New York City, and this is a, a house we're renting once and made probably once only at this point, uh, which is just. Great. Popping the bubble for our listeners. You're popping the glorious bubble. That's right. Um, But I'm going to start you off with the same question I start all of our artist guests off, which is just if you can take me back a little to when you were thinking about college for the first time. So 16, 17, maybe even earlier when you were thinking, hey, I think I maybe want to be an actor, if you were thinking that, and you were looking at what do I need out of a college experience that might get me there. Um, Talk me through what was going on in your mind back then. I preface this by saying that I'm not a great researcher still. So I, when I was looking at the idea of college, I just figured you went. I just mm-hmm. didn't know you had a choice, like you didn't do a gap year, whatever. So I had just kind of asked people and, and saw where people I liked went, and most of it was NYU. So I just mm-hmm. heard NYU, NYU, to School of the Arts, and that's where you got to be. And so I had friends that I looked up to, so that's where I wanted to be. So when I started thinking about it, I thought about all the ones people talk about, Michigan, CCM, Carnegie Mellon, like all the ones that were out there when I was coming up. Um, And then what I ended up doing was I applied and got into the summer high school program at Mm -hmm. NYU. So when I was a junior, I took a, I took, you know, whatever it is, a month and a half out there to sort of live what it would be. And I fell madly in love with it. The city, the whole atmosphere, the, 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 the doing of classes. I was like, didn't have a lot of like acting classes where I'm mm-hmm. from, which is San Jose, California. I did community theater, but I didn't really invest in like the idea of classes. So this really spoke to me. And then I didn't want to go anywhere else. So I applied and I had good enough grades, I guess. And the audition kind of put me over and uh, I went and, and I, 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 I guess I didn't look back. At the time, were you thinking, hey, I, I want to be actively working in school? I guess I'm assuming that that work is what pulled you out of school, though I guess that you could tell me if that's yep. not true. But were you thinking, I want to be meeting casting directors and thinking about in classes, but actually actively working while I was in school? Yeah, I, I, I learn by doing. I have a very hard time sitting still. And so I thought that, uh, you know, being in acting school meant you're just up all the time doing stuff and being creative. And mm-hmm. uh, when I went to NYU, and this is not to disparage NYU at all, because I think it's a fantastic school and I'm glad I went. Um, it just wasn't working for me at the time. And 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 that's perfectly okay, I found. Um, and so that, w- that was kind of part one of like, okay, I'm not feeling like I'm getting what I need out of this. Mm-hmm. There's bits and pieces and f- nice to meet friends who have similar, you know, uh, wants and ambitions. And then, yes, and then I ended up auditioning. They kind of uh, tell you not to, you mm-hmm. know, audition while you're there and they want to kind of build you up. And But most people, <laughs> they're, you're in New York City, so it's mm-hmm. like hard to like not get up for well, an open call. You've casting directors can come to your shows. And I mean, just you're, you now have the whole industry is available to come check you out and, you know, smell well, and, you if you're yeah, right there. Well, and it's, you know, you're in New York, so you could go perform anywhere all the time. And so just, you know, the idea of relegating it to just one school thing that they only when you are allowed to do it felt wrong to me so i ended up auditioning and after two years of a little bit of like being miserable kind of 
what was going on with me at least and getting very fortunate and booking something mm-hmm. i ended up getting a play and i went to la and i i took a leave of absence from school which i'm still on and i'm 36 mm-hmm. years old hey, <laughs> so i'm still on a very long happen. leave of absence yeah maybe i'll return i probably won't um, and did you think about, so, you know, as you're deciding to take that leave and maybe even thinking at the time or at some point, hey, this is probably permanent. Did you think about there are things I want to make sure I continue training wise, whether it's about voice, acting, education stuff? Was there stuff that you go, what am I missing in those two years or that, that you thought about? I want to continue this or complete this in, in some other way. That's an excellent question. I do. I do think about it. I think about like, I know that everything kind of panned out okay, but like, I wonder what I missed and what I would mm-hmm. have enjoyed. Uh, you know, where I too have just stuck it out. Um, but I find that I've always, I've looked back now, easier to say now, cause I look back on it, that I've found specialized ways of learning. And mm-hmm. I think that's an important thing for people to hear when they go to college. Cause the college has a curriculum and a syllabus and everything on the syllabus you're going to learn. But with theater and the arts, there is no cap to the learning. So that syllabus represents you know, like a glass of water in the ocean. It's like, it. there's so much more to learn, but you as the actor, as the student, need to be aware enough to go, what am I missing? Mm-hmm. And what I was missing was improv, sketch comedy, comedy in general. Like I spent so much time not wanting to go to dance class. And if I just did, I would be missing out on all this stuff I really want to do. And you really only get one shot at this. So specialization became mm-hmm. kind of this like, extracurricular for me that I'm glad I stuck with. And does that mean when you think about stuff like comedy, like, are you thinking like, I'm going to go take UCB classes or I'm going to go, like, are you doing, it it was literally classes, not just while you're in a show, I'm going to work on this comedy. Well, right. But, but I think that it's everything. I think that, yes, I sought out certain things and classes, by the way, some of which were free. Mm -hmm. And I just want that to be out there because I think people need to know that to take class or to learn, you do not need to necessarily have the means to afford it. Like, I think if you're smart, you can find free stuff, especially Mm -hmm. with the internet now. I mean, you can take full acting classes online for free. You can watch every single performance that has ever been, Mm -hmm. you know, on screen. And now all that is learning. All that is class if you you do it the right way. So, yeah, I mean, I wanted to do outside work on what I was being to fill in the gaps. And yeah, in shows, you get the benefit of time because once Mm -hmm. your show's up and running, you have your whole day. And I don't like to rest on the idea that, oh, I just have my show at night. That's when I'll work. I want to work on the stuff that I'm not working on in the show. Very well said, I think, in the online of it all, of <laughs> drinking of the ocean that's not just in that little cup. I think so, yeah. yeah. Um, but tell me a little about your journey from you know landing that play in LA to now moving to New York for the One Glory Day and then Bach and Wicked. <laughs> so it seems mm-hmm. like, whoa, this is really exciting. You found Broadway success in a way that a lot of people find Broadway success, but it's so exciting. And then all of a sudden it's like, And we'll talk about the second half of it, this journey to, oh, my God, I'm originating two lead roles in Broadway. That's a whole other life. But but tell me about that first sort of jump to I'm doing it. I'm on Broadway and I'm I'm, I'm playing some cool roles. I'll answer that with starting at Wicked because Glory Days, it's it's kind of its own like really micro, you know, thing. Totally. Uh, That's that's its own wild and wacky story that does not really represent a lot of like what it means to be in a show consistently on Broadway. Mm -hmm. Um, With Wicked, for me, it was a huge... I, I learned that a lot of the stuff is the same, like doing community theater, like a lot of the stuff on stage, acting with your friends, rehearsing, that is all of the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's at a bigger budget and you're getting paid and there's like more people watching you. But what I learned and what I started to figure out that nothing could have taught me 
and I think that they should teach this in college, is how to do an eight-show week, mm-hmm. is how to be a professional outside and inside of your show, how to be a leading human being, um, like not just a leading man, because I played Bach. I pl- I've been, I was in the ensemble of Big Fish. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, I, so I didn't lead these shows, but leadership mm-hmm. skills are so important in a show, no matter who you're playing, no matter who you are. And so I think what, when I got on Broadway, I thought I like reached the pinnacle and that's it. But it's like, there's such learning lessons to have to be successful and consistent as a working actor that really is hard to teach. And I think if somebody were able to come up with that kind of curriculum, they would have invented a really better mousetrap. Mm-hmm. It's so true. And how, you know, I have this question for later on in the show, but I'm inspired to ask it now. Just how are you thinking about stuff like type? Um, you know, that we've had a couple conversations of, of type on the show and it, it seems like, and maybe we can get into, um, Bach to Dewey or to however you <laughs> want to think of the, the transition, but it seems like you have had some experiences where you really were, were sort of playing into a very under, commercially understandable type. Sometimes where you're going, I'm getting to, to expand in and around it. But are you thinking about that? Are you thinking about here's, here's a, a definable role that I fit into and that I can use as a brand? How, how are you sort of considering those questions? First of all, I'm offended that you don't think that Bach to Dewey is a natural transition. <laughs> Thinking about that is actually so crazy. To you made it like look what natural. I looked like. And, yeah. oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you very much. Yes. Um, I, honestly, I like doing theater. So like for me, it was never about a brand or like how to, you know, market myself. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've ever been amazing at that. I think I I'm fine at putting myself out there and making conversation, but no, I never thought about it really as like, here's a role I want to play or here's, because I think it's crazy to assume that you're going to get it. Number mm-hmm. one, because there's billions of actors mm-hmm. and why would anybody get anything? You know? Mm-hmm. So I am a believer in like the harder you work, the luckier you get, you know? So, but I, I don't know if I think about it in the scope of like branding and who, and like what I am and what I represent. I just want to work. And so, I try my best to make enough connections and enough fans that more people want me in more rooms. And if it means I'm playing the third shrub to the left, I hope that I can find some like really amazing stuff there. But as long as I'm on stage and I have some light on me, I'm happy. And, and I think that you get to a point in your career, like now, like with the two Tony nominations where nobody can see that as anything, but me trying to be fake humble, but like, Uh I would so much rather be in a show in any part than not in a show waiting for the right part. Uh-huh. And was there a point in the career, I guess, where you are saying no to Third Shrub on the left because of the possibility of Dewey? Or because, you know, I guess, was there a point where, I mean, I, I kind of assume there is a yes, but was it a conscious moment when you're saying, it's not just na- not just going to naturally build, but I am going to say, I think I am. I think I've learned these leadership skills and I think I'm ready to lead a company in a new show. And, you know, and so I'm not going to take this other thing that would take me away. Did that happen to you at some point? I've embraced it. I think it didn't. It, it was thrust upon me by uh, my wonderful representatives, mm-hmm. like my manager, mm-hmm. who was the first to tell me like this, whatever this role was offered to me or that I auditioned for that I or I wanted to audition for in no uncertain terms, they were like, this is not your next thing. And to hear that is hard because you're like, I want to do this. Uh But sometimes what it's about is it just takes you away or takes you out of contention for the next thing that potentially would be worth the squeeze. So I've embraced it. I, it's hard because you just want to say yes to everything, 
Um, and I feel very lucky that I get to be privileged enough now and have worked hard enough that I do get to be a little choosy. And I don't think that'll last. I don't, I don't think it lasts for anybody. I think you have your time and, and, and you get to do with what you want. I'm a big believer in momentum. So I've been trying to use that for the last decade and a half mm-hmm. and to success. But yeah, I mean, I think that's, I have embraced where I am. Like I know where I sit now in the world of theater, that I am a veteran that can be trusted. Mm-hmm. So if someone allows me to choose something, I will choose carefully. Yeah, I love that. And and it's something, it's a really, I think a really smart way to think about if you're going to choose not to think about conversations of type or brand or status, I guess we're in some ways you're saying that with third trap on the left, but sure. to say I do... I under I have people who will do some of that for me, you know, because <laughs> the industry is going to some some extent going to consider that and see. So for you to be able to go, uh, well, I'm able to listen to people who are thinking that way, and that lets me not have to think that way. Lets me. And know, I will say head. this is this is a, a direct quote from you know my wife, but also who's a casting director and other casting directors I've heard say this, which is so many actors will find ways to not audition for something or uh-huh. not do something because they're afraid or they're anxious or whatever, or they're self-conscious and they have imposter syndrome. And the way they'll do that is that they'll just type themselves out of a role. They'll say, Oh, this isn't for me. Someone else would be, but, and I've been told time and time, I've done it. I mean, I've been that guy and I've been told time and time again, you are not responsible for typing you out of something. You may be the right thing that they don't know they're looking for. And so I do, I try actively to not think about that now because it is like if somebody asks me to audition for something, it right. means that they think there might be potential there. They want to use it. Yes, maybe you're the the five percent chance, but there's some chance or they wouldn't be wasting their time. It's, it's and all, it's always nice to be seen. Uh, ain't that the truth? Um, but so tell me <laughs> a little bit about that progression from all right. So now you you aren't playing third shove on the left or doing one day musicals. You now are playing two pretty iconic originating roles. Yeah. What was that momentum build like? And when or when do we start appreciating? When do we start, you know, feel like, oh, my God, this is real. It's really happening. Like, how was that experience? <laughs> it was I mean, it was wacky because it happened in the way that you hear in like on Smash. Like, you know, what I mean? mm-hmm. it happened in a way that is not normal. So I say that really, really pointedly that like what happened to me was not like the like and then you did this and then mm-hmm. you did this. And obviously you did this. I did a workshop of School of Rock where I played an ensemble member. I did a mm-hmm. reading. The director took a shine to me personally, knew I was a writer, knew I did improv. So they brought me in to sing some stuff. They found that I played guitar. They offered me the workshop to workshop the role. Pretty much every step of the way I knew because they told me I was not going to play the role. Right. You're you know, going to be stunt like, cast later. We'll bring in a celebrity. Gonna, yeah, you're yeah. going to help develop the role, which by the way, I had had a reputation of doing anyway. So I yep. was thrilled to be a part of it, An to awesome meet Andrew Lloyd Webber. I was like, how do you say no to that? Yep. And to and to eventually be able to point to a show and go, I helped with that. Yep. That's really cool. Yep. And then what happened was we did two big runs of the show in the rehearsal room and enough of Andrew Lloyd Webber or whoever's fancy friends said, that's your guy. Like there's no, that's the right guy. Forget celebrity. There's, mm-hmm. This will sell tickets. The show will sell if mm-hmm. this guy's in it. And they had enough good faith and trust and risk. I guess they were out of their minds a little to hire an essential nobody who was about to do his fifth Broadway show, <laughs> mm-hmm. but to just do it. And so that next day when they told me I was going to do it, everything changed. There was no progression. It mm-hmm. was like, I went from a utility player who was probably pretty good at character acting and improv and doing a bunch of workshops uh-huh. to being the star of Andrew Lloyd Webber's next Broadway show it's, overnight. Yeah. And it 
it's, you know, I just now, I think, really understand what that means and what the responsibility of that is and what it did for me. But in the moment, dude, there's like no way to prepare yourself to just have the have 50 newspapers in 50 states have your name in it that day. Right. It's almost, the, I mean, it's the positive version of the actor's nightmare or whatever. You're like, oh my God, I'm really, I'm doing yeah, this now. This is real. It's like, yeah, it's like the worst and best lottery that you win. <laughs> like you're like, everything changes completely. Yeah. And you, there is a total ambivalence. You're like, this is unbelievable. Oh my God, what do I do with this? Yep. It's so funny. I mean, you know, I think there are really no normal paths of like, this is how it always goes. There's sort of what we True. picture as like at least a steady progression. But I'll say like what you just described sounds very similar. We just had Jesse Mueller on the pod. It sounds very similar to her experience that she was I, developing on a clear day. She was all, she was like, maybe I'll be, you'll be the cover. They were told, told that directly, you know? So I, you know, for the, all those people out there who are playing <laughs> development roles, expecting covers, you know, it's obviously possible. Same way that being a reader, you can get cast. It's, it's unusual, I, but not, not, uh, you know, remarkable. No, it happens, but I also think it speaks to like your perspective. Like if you are told, even if you're blatantly told you will not play this role, uh-huh. that in my opinion does not mean that your response should go, well, then I'll do this at 70% then. Uh, right. Like yeah. I just think that everything is for something later, even if it's for that role. If not, maybe it was for something else. But also if you're not in the room giving 100%, I don't care who you are. I just think mm. that that's a crazy thing to give anything less than 100%, whatever your 100% is, by the way, because it's different. And and that could mean something totally different. But to not do that yep. when you have so little chances to do it, because theater doesn't give you amazing chances all the time. Why would you go like, well, I'll only do it if, yep. you know, just yep. do it. So true. Um, can we talk? We'll we'll do one more question, then we'll do a little break. We'll do a deep dive. We'll get into our game. But um, oh, wow. can we can we talk about your cords of steel? Because I have no idea if this is your reality. <laughs> but you seem to be able to, in the things I've seen you, and you seem to be able to sustain singing and speech in a way that it sounds like it would be very effortful to the average person. Like, is yeah. that something that is trained? Is that just something you feel like you were born with? Like, what do you do to take care of your voice? In you mm-hmm. know, if you're doing a long. Beetlejuice, you're doing a long school of rock. Like, what, tell me about these these chords of steel that I've heard about. I think the chords of steel were a real thing that developed when I was young, and my parents raised me on crazy, you know, rock and roll, gospel music, and Hollow Oates, and Todd Rundgren, and Aerosmith, and mm-hmm. so I think you grow up, and your vocal cords are muscles, so they get stronger or weaker depending on how you use them. So I think mine grew up strong. Uh-huh. However, during school of rock. Um, I believed the same thing you just said. I believed that I was, you know, totally unbreakable and uh-huh. cords of steel. And I've been told that, you know, I, you know, I recover quickly. Uh, and then on stage during a, you know, sleepy Wednesday matinee, I hemorrhaged a vocal cord. Oof. And so, and, 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 and what that means, I, technically what it means is your, your, your vocal cord stretches or it's used to a point where it starts to bleed or bruise mm-hmm. and you can't use it as well or at all. And so I had this real scary, scared straight moment of like, okay, so it's not effortless. And if you don't do it the right way, your career is over. So from that moment up until this day, I'm talking to you, I started kind of in this journey of like vocal health and really warming up, training, 
being with a vocal pathologist, vocal coach, doing all the things I could to make sure things would just go right from now on. And it was a little more, a little more of a sacrifice than I wanted to do because it feels kind of boring. You know, no mm-hmm. one likes to do voice lessons. Right. Unless you I, I don't care who you walk in and be like, I sound amazing. I didn't even practice. Yeah, I, yeah. Exactly. I don't care who you are. If you're like, yeah. if you're, yeah, no one's skipping into a voice lesson. It feels like you're going to the principal's office. And so, <laughs> but you got to do it and it works. Yeah. And so my thing was like with the Beetlejuice voice, I went at it completely on a health way. I didn't look at it like, let's create it first and then figure out how to make it healthy. Uh That was going to be the total wrong thing to do. So we went at it slowly but surely. And thankfully, Beetlejuice developed for that long that Uh we could give it the time it deserved. And so it was a little bit of both. I found the grit myself where it was in my voice. And then I used my coach, pathologist, and ENT to make sure I wasn't damaging myself. And slowly we built it from being able to do it for five minutes to 15 minutes to two and a half hours. You you just gave me like the perfect, we we're talking about a little basketball before you, you know, we started recording. You gave me the perfect like basketball analogy. It was like you as like, you're singing Hall and Oates is like your MJ, like holding onto the pull-up bar to stretch yeah. and get taller, right? Like yep. all these un- invincible athletes up to a certain point and then, you know, they hit mid-career and they're like, all right, it's time to start using the hyperbaric chamber and extend. Like, <laughs> right. I'm not actually invisible, invincible just because I'm, you know, incredibly strong or, you know. Um, yeah, I find... Yeah, I, I think that a little bit of humility and a little bit of like self-awareness is really good mm. for a long career because you need to know that you're just going to get older and you're going to get, uh, I, I, I just think you get, and I say this in a good way, I think you get worse. And so you have to keep keeping an eye on yes. that when you get older and more worn. And I sound like I'm 90 when I'm saying this. <laughs> we get um, <laughs> worse. I mean, it's true. I, I'm just, just I'm like, we're, I'm on the down slide. It's all downhill in, from here. <laughs> right. Yeah. In theater years, I'm 90. Yeah, I'm 36, sure. but I feel like it's like dog years. Uh, <laughs> and we're just pickled by air conditioning, which is why I look so good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. For those of you listening, I don't. But uh, for those of you uh, listening, he does. He does. That's right. Uh, but yeah, I think that it's about. Health is important, and I don't think I think artists have a hard time putting time aside for health because yes. it doesn't feel artsy. And as our therapists would say, the real strength is realizing you do have a breaking point. You know, I love That's that. The real I do. Yes, I do. I agree with that. Um, well, on that weird note, let's take a break, and on the back <laughs> end, we'll dive into some comedy with Alex Brightman. Back in a flash. Oh, good. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is made possible by PwC. It's getting hot out here. Moving the mercury can help move your business. PwC helps turn sustainability theory into real-world action. Reduce your carbon footprint while increasing transparency in net-zero commitments. Start with reporting to identify your climate risks and reinvent your business. Create a more sustainable business and a stronger planet. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. 
We are back with the great Alex Brightman, and we're going <laughs> to dive deeper into some comedy. You keep laughing every time I say the great. Is it that? Is, is that just, what it is? Well, it's just it's it's. I'm so I I'm so flattered that you you know my full name. That like the, Alex Brightman is short for the great Alex Brightman. I, I, you were far from the first person who, when hearing their name said twice, or you said, said fuller. Like that feels so weird. But it's like I'll say from our students' perspective, none of them would be like. Yeah, of course it's Alex Brightman. No, like, no, you know, that's how they see you. Well, that's, that's very you. nice. You know, it's it's just very nice, and it's I don't know how to react to hearing that. So that's really just my defense mechanism is to laugh. Oh, good. We'll do more therapy. I heard defense mechanism, so we're gonna pause the podcast and get into it. No, um, right. let's chat about. So you know, with each of our artists, we try to do a little bit of like a um, granular deep dive of like one specific subject. We did this a little bit with Annalie Ashford. We talked about sort of comedy in general, oh. but I wanted like maybe zoom in on physical comedy. Not that you sure. don't also uh, understand all kinds of comedy, but. Um, I just think it's something that you're really remarkable at, you know, and it's Thanks. such a, a a part of the musical theater canon, you know, of the sort of um, yeah. some kind of broad physical comedy, not always broad, but some kind of a physical comedy. So I want to get a little of that and maybe just start off with how do you approach that? You you kind of mentioned what this is my vocal approach to Beetlejuice to make sure it's sustainable. Right. How do you approach, uh, let's just broadly comedy when creating a character, but maybe then especially if we're going to posit that, a Dewey or a Beetlejuice have some things that are kind of different about them than Alex Brightman. So we were putting some character on the, yeah. the character there. How do you explore those differences, you know, as you're, you're in a room? I, I think the short answer is trial and a lot of error. Mm -hmm. um, but that trial part is crazy important. And depending on the role, I mean, I think theater in general is a full contact sport. Like you can, you can't point to many shows that don't take something physical out of you. Uh -huh. um, but with like school of rock, it was, you know, jumping off things and sliding around cartwheels and you know, all that kind of stuff. And Beetlejuice was less stamina, but more physical uh -huh. uh, contortion kind of stuff. Uh -huh. um, and that just comes from like, I mean, I've said this before a lot recently, but it's like the more, you fall on your face, the more, and I mean that physically and, and, you know, <laughs> metaphorically. Uh, metaphorically and yeah. dramaturgically and, and, you know, on the table, uh, the, you, you just are able to sort of make the sieve that you run your choices through uh -huh. smaller so that when you start like getting choices that fall through your head, you go, that's not a Beetlejuice choice. That's not a Beetlejuice choice. Uh -huh. Oh, there's one. And it catches. Um, and then you want to invest in it. And my advice, you know, not that it was, this is completely unsolicited, but I think is, is uh, worth hearing is that when you are developing something physically, because I try everything, I walk into a room and, and I've just, uh, Carrie Butler said she was like, she explains like being in a rehearsal room with me, these are her words, not mine. She says being in a rehearsal room feels dangerous. <laughs> she says it feels like, like it feels like re rehearsing with a tornado i think she uh -huh. said or something uh -huh. mainly just because i look at rehearsal like a like a process i don't yep. look at it as a means to an end and sometimes that doesn't work for people because they need to stage something mm -hmm. but i've been really lucky to work with people that just allow me to do what i need to do because mm -hmm. i've earned the trust i didn't just walk in and say i know better than all of you so you earn the opportunity to mess around and you earn the opportunity to take an hour and go, what if it's all this? Uh -huh. And the whole day could be wrong. You could uh -huh. burn a whole day doing that, but uh -huh. at the very least now you know what you're not doing. But the advice is once you find the thing, make sure you can do it more than, uh, you know, 10 times a week because the, the mistake I made in school of rock was saying yes to everything. 
And what that ended up doing was hemorrhaging a vocal cord, hurting my knees. My mm-hmm. back is no longer the same. My ankle is no longer the Oof. same. Yeah. And if I would, and I learned all those lessons and for Beetlejuice, my whole show, I could do 10 times a week uh-huh. if I needed to, because uh-huh. because of all the work we did physically, I knew what I was capable of and I knew what absolutely no way in hell could I do more than once a week. And I just, and then no matter how much I love that choice, uh-huh. it has to not happen. Uh-huh. It's such a good advice. But I want to hear more about, and it's really great analogy of both the trial and error, but then also sort of the sieve, you know, in that trial and error, what makes something an error? What what makes something, like, is it really, is it the rehearsal? Like I say, it's a comedic choice in this case. Is it the rehearsal room yeah. and laughs? Is it more your own instinct? Like, let's, because, you know, do, if you're making a choice and you go, I didn't get a laugh, but is there some part of you goes, but there's something there. I want to, uh, do I need to tweak it? I, I think I'm on the path to it. Who Who is the judge and the jury in this trial and error? It's a great um, question. That is an excellent, excellent question. I'm not sure there's like a concise, concrete answer to this, but I think it's it's kind of all that you said, but you need to be really, really self-aware and honest with yourself that not everything you do is genius. And I think that with comedians and egotists and like, and I'm speaking about myself, um, you know, those are the same, nar- those are the same, the comedians, egotists, that was one narcissist, one right. Yeah. We're yeah, all yeah, the yeah. same kind of people flash, that like flash, thrive. Flash. Well, we thrive on also like instant uh, feedback. Uh-huh. And if it's not good, it's offensive or uh-huh. could be. But if you are able to kind of take yourself out of the equation and go, okay, what is good for the show? Yep. You know, I think that that's a really good, again, with the sieve thing, it's like, I liked this choice and I'm going to mourn not being mm-hmm. able to make this choice again, but it's clearly not working. Yep. And you can, there are, and I think this comes with time and, and, and experience. Like, you know, this wasn't always how I felt or, or how I did it or how I got good at it. You can see merit in a bad bit and develop and work on uh-huh. it. But for the most part, you know, your first instincts are usually the right ones. You uh-huh. just have to figure them out. Um, but it is about being free enough to feel like a fool in front of others, um, knowing that they are going to lift you up when it gets right. You mm-hmm. know, they're not going to go home and go, look at all those bad choices. That Like, you have to get rid of that right. mindset that people are going <laughs> to no go home and like talk that. about you. Yeah. I mean, they'll well, talk no, about and, you for sure, but they're not like nobody, that. nobody, but really, truly, nobody is going home and the interesting conversation with their significant other is, the things that didn't work in rehearsal. That laugh is half as big as it used to be. And I think it's Alex's yeah. fault. Like, no. That's well, that's right. And like, no. but, but I am an anxious, you know, uh-huh. person with imposter syndrome when I first get into a process. And so I always think every choice has to be right. And so the more I can jettison that idea and just go, we have six hours in this room. Yep. This scene is four pages. We're not going to, we cannot just run the scene over. Let's, right. let's, Screw some shit let's up. Try. Let's yeah. let's let's try. Well, and what about the other side of things where when you get something very right, oh my God, we found a bit that's really funny, maybe early in the process. How do you deal with that early success? Like, are, are you logging <laughs> it and going away from it? Because you're like, that's not going to be funny for the next two months of the rehearsal room and then it's going to die. Or are you that's the person a- who goes, keep twisting, keep refining? Like, how do you deal with that win when it happens? That is, an, that is a question that speaks so near and dear to my heart. And I don't know if I've ever gotten that question before. Um, Rob McClure and I were just talking about this. Mm-hmm. Like when a bit works early, Oof. that's a curse. Dangerous. It's dangerous because what ends up happening is two things in a rehearsal room, which can go really wrong for an audience later. One is the laugh gets a crazy big laugh because it's never happened before. and It's uh-huh. hitting people for the first time. The more you rehearse it, 
no one's going to laugh because they know the joke's coming. But you have to trust that when I said first instinct, you have to keep remembering the first time that hit people because that's how it's going to hit an audience for the first time. So you, you keep those, you keep the gold, you keep the bits, you can continue to do other things, but the other day, this is part two. The other dangerous thing is when people start to laugh at you and Uh not the bit, it's because they know you Uh fellow actors in the room will laugh at things because you're you, but people buying a ticket to the show are laughing at the character's choices and you have to remember that, that they don't know you. So they're not going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you're just funny. Mm-hmm. So I think that's super important to understand that if you if your bits work in the room, great. But understand why. Because yes. if, if you, I've seen so many people do an amazing bit that worked just for their friends because yes. they know a certain context as we had lunch at Panera and something funny uh-huh. happened. And the audience goes, I don't uh-huh. even know what Panera is. <laughs> yeah. I don't it's- care about this. It's so true. And and there's when you're at step one, I've watched a lot of young actors and shows just put more and more blood into the thing that worked, not knowing <laughs> yeah. why it didn't work. And then by the end of by the time they're done, it actually doesn't work in front of an audience anymore either because all, they've right. squeezed it and twisted it to keep trying to get to chase that laugh. Well, you forgot what it was. I mean, it yeah. was like it's yeah, it's just you can't get back to that original thing. So repetition is good. Um, that, you know, I talk a lot about changing things up and, and, and mixing things up, but when you find something that is good, it is important to write that down or remember it because it is. And that's the same thing with auditions, by the way, I would say mm-hmm. and callbacks is that people tend to like call yes. back the same scene, you know, yep. like four times. And you as the actor think, oh, I have to change it and evolve yep. it. It's actually totally wrong. Right. They're bringing new the people in to see the yes, thing that works. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And, and I think that a few people understand that, but I think a majority of actors need to hear that because you booking a role is imperative on you being consistent. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. Um, what about, I'm going to ask you a very specific thing because it's you did it so well in both School of Rock and, and Beetlejuice. Yeah. <laughs> This, seem, this thing seems to exist in the musical theater sometimes where you have a scene or a song or a moment that is not particularly funny on the page that <laughs> needs to become funny, right? Like, so, because right. there's something where it's like, we've got a scene where it's like, this is kind of funny, let's make it funny together or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you are given a bit of physical comedy where it's like, hey, make something here, right? And hopefully your director doesn't actually say to you, hey, this is fun, make something funny here. But if, if that's well, the direction you got. You'd be surprised, yeah. Okay, so if you do get that, yeah. Yeah. how do you approach that when you're like, I'm basically starting from, I have like the snippet of a song that's not funny, but now I know I've got, like, I'm grabbing a prop, I'm grabbing or whatever, and I'm trying to, trying to make something funny out of nothing. What is that physical exploration like? Like, what, how do you approach the storytelling? How do you approach the <laughs> trial and error? What are you doing to explore a sort of physical bit, if we're going to call it that? For me, I think it starts before the physical bit of this is what you just said about when you have something that you consider not funny. Um, I think, you know, it's undeniable that you get to a thing and you're like, I wouldn't have written it that way. Right. Or that's like, I, but I you were not the, the writer. Yeah. And most of the time you don't have the the green light to go to the writer and go, hey, this isn't funny. Uh-huh. You know, and as a writer, I totally now get that tenfold like you know if somebody comes up to you and goes i don't think this is the right line you're like yeah. how dare you oh, i gave uh, you a banana it's funny figure it's it funny. out <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it is funny why because it's funny yeah um but i think that i tend to do a better job of trying to forget that part and just going this is funny okay this is this is funny sure let's assume it's funny okay that's fine let's assume it's funny is always good As- assuming the best out of a bit is always going to help in the same way. Like when you play a bad guy, you don't, you don't know he's a bad mm-hmm. guy, right? So you assume the best in a bit. And then I always like to look at what's there. 
So you read them. I have to read, you have to read the material. People try to like look at a bit once, try to memorize and go, what can I do with this? Uh-huh. Read it, read the bit, enjoy the bit, invest in the bit, look at it like an audience member. Stop looking at it like choices right away. Uh-huh. In the same way you try to like memorize line by line, read the scene first, mm-hmm. then your memorizing is going to be great. So read the bit. How does it fit into the scene? If you have questions about it though, ask the writer. What is this? Not this isn't funny because let's make it work. Mm -hmm. And so physicalizing it, whatever it is, you know, I try to see what is the most obvious choice to make and then, you know, work backwards. What's the least obvious choice to make? Because all of them are valid because sometimes the obvious choice is the funniest one, Mm -hmm. right? Falling down, farting, whatever. All that's funny. Farting is right? fu- I have a one and a half year old. Farting is funny to her. I'm like, why? How? Why is that funny to you yet? You don't know enough it's, to make it. She it loves is. It. It's the funniest thing in the world. Yep. That's the, it, there's, the two, I mean, that's. Blowing your nose, boogers. The first time we said yeah. boogie to her, she brought a laughing. I'm like, why, why are these things funny? Yeah. I'm a big fan of base humor mm-hmm. um, because I think that there's a reason it exists. There's a reason it's just big fan, big mm-hmm. fan of, of the, the reverence of what came before all of this specificity mm-hmm. um, is good. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that I have found the most success in seeing what is there. Okay, this is obvious. And then really going home with it and not mm-hmm. leaving your script at the door and taking your job home with you a little bit and just thinking about it. Mm-hmm. What is the what's the least I can do with this mm-hmm. too? Like what's because nothing's funny, you know? Like nothing can be very funny. A look uh-huh. is very funny. Something that is big. And also remember what show you're in. That's the big Beetlejuice lesson I learned. The show is big enough. Uh huh. So if you're big on top of that shit, it's like it actually feels cringy. Yeah. And it, yeah, it feels like you're too, doing too much. If you let the show work for you, that being said, if you're in a much more subtle, nuanced show, a big choice might be very funny. Uh-huh. So it's contextual. It is about the whole of the show. Are yep. you doing something that is just for you? Yeah. Um, and totally sharing a physical bit is fun too. I mean, like being able to share with somebody, like Rob, again, like Rob McClure is a person who I, I think I'm creative. And then I saw Rob McClure uh-huh. in a rehearsal room and that guy throws him, literally throws uh-huh. himself to the ground for bits and it works and he's funny and it doesn't, whatever. I'm constantly inspired by people that are, are using their body to make comedy or drama, but like mm-hmm. using your body is full. I mean, where else do you get to do that? It's, it's so true, yeah. And especially as an adult person. It feels like as kids sometimes right. we get to do that. But like when else as a 37-year-old whatever person do you get a chance to to do that? Um, You're totally right. What about like, uh, you know, a show like Beetlejuice, which I think feels like, I mean, School of Rock too, but I'm thinking specifically Beetlejuice, it feels like there's so much improv in it, you know, mm-hmm. so much. Clearly there are some moments that I'm like, this is because the audience member sneezed or because, you know, that you're you're, you're <laughs> able to live in that world. And, and some of it probably improv discovered within the, the room and those kind of things. How much shifts from night to night? How, how much is new ver, you know, versus l- micro shifts within a pretty well-structured plan? How much is like really, were you really doing new? Uh, the honest answer is night to night, less than you'd think mm-hmm. because the show lent itself in the room to so many iterations of certain bits that really sometimes I'm just pulling from the gold mine. Yep. Um, and then, you know, there are the things where you're just dealing in the moment, you know, right. with a heckler or somebody who thinks they should be in the show, then you're like, have to shut that down. Uh-huh. And, but the trust is, trust is a big thing in comedy, especially with writers and directors. If you gain their trust, the more latitude you're given. It depends on the show, but like Beetlejuice was this Borscht Belt comedian narrator type. And so 
they had to give me some latitude. They can't. Right. I, being rigid in that role makes no sense. Right. So they knew that I came from a core of improv. We improvised bits to life in the room. Uh-huh. So there are things in the show that are scripted that came out of improv, which is why it feels that way. Yes, totally. So feels that the way. greatest compliment we got in the show was like a lot of that felt made up. And we're like, well, that's because at some point it was. it was. Yeah. But that goes along with keep the bits that work. Like uh-huh. the, the ones that people love the most were ones that were from five years ago. Uh-huh. I mean, it was, and and they just work. And And our job is to, Forget that they're five years old. Uh huh. And when do you? So, just for people who maybe don't know specifically the Broadway process, is that now in the in previews? Like, wh- when are you? When are you getting to that point? Right before you enter previews? When are you starting to go? All right. In my calculus of of trial error, trial error, trial error, I have all these choices. But some of these things obviously need to be set if it's in a manic sequence of set yep. changes, and you know you can't totally mess up timings like that. When are you going? Right. All right. Let's lock this in while keeping it not locked, keeping it not stale. But when are you trying to say by this time I am? I mean, is it opening night? Like, when are you at the point where you're going, it's truly locked, some of these little internal bits? Uh, some of them are never locked, which is nice. But some of it, I, I think that you're right. Like, right around, you know, during tech where you is like, for people that don't do, have never done a long tech process of a show, that's when you lose your show because you don't have any rhythm anymore. You're just stopping and starting. So that's a good time to start when you're doing a bit over and over and over again on stage with a cavernous house that's not laughing. You get to a point where you go, nope, this has to be the bit. This Uh is it. And then when you get to previews, that's when you get this added instant feedback from the audience and you go, all right, the bit doesn't work. Sure. So you're tweaking, tweaking, tweaking. By opening for Beetlejuice, I think like 90% of the show, that might be a little low, 95% of the show was locked. Like things we liked, things we did. But 5% is a lot. Yep. And so the 5% of latitude that I was mainly given, and it was mainly generated by me, I always treated with respect because one, the show needs to be a certain length. <laughs> Two, you got a stage the show's manager going to yell at you at some point. You have a stage manager trying to call the thing. Yeah. You know, they're trying to call the thing. And, you know, I I made the stage manager's job very easy because they knew they were in good hands. And I think that came from the rehearsal room, the trust that you build over time. The person who didn't have a very easy time was the person running the spotlights. Um, (laughs) Just finding you? Finding me. And if ever there was a sub spotlight, God bless. The audience basically caught like the, the... my right foot every once in a while. Um, <laughs> but because I know the show so well, I thought of it like almost, um, I just said this recently, it's like bowling. It's like we put the bumpers up and I think uh-huh. the bumpers are the show and the lane is like, you can throw whatever you want, but the bumpers are there to Within make the double lane. sure. Yes. Yeah. With As long as you stay in your lane, you know what show you're doing and you know where you are and what needs to be happening. And for my sake, reading a crowd. Because there are some actors that will bash a joke over the head and the audience doesn't laugh six weeks in a row. And you're uh-huh. like, what are you doing? Yeah. This, like you can't, at this point, on. it's not the audience's fault. Yeah. You have this to change. You have to evolve. Point. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. I think it is good to listen. It's good to keep reinvesting in whatever you're doing. And it's okay that things can change slightly. <laughs> yeah. It's live. Yep. Well, I, we talk about that in so many different contexts, but the idea of structure can create creativity that it's actually hard yeah. to be creative in a completely wide open space but giving yourself enough structure agree. now you're safe and now you really can bounce between those bumpers and all those things i love we we as young actors always want like ultimate freedom and then when we get it we're like well but not ultimate but, but some rules you know? though right yeah like, tell well, me what i can't do and, and yeah. when you yeah i mean it's really you don't want to do that i think creating 
with structure is very that's well put it's the definition of style too in a lot of ways like when people are like what is what style is showing it's like style feels can feel limiting but i'm like style is also what can create creativity so we're all on the same page creating together and anyway we whole other deep dive conversation but we've got to play our game alex we've got okay. to play our game we have to this game, so each artist gets a game. Sometimes it's silly and I make them spell or I make them do weird things. This is a very simple trivia game. Oh, okay. I'm, 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 I'm not in a good role with my game. I've not been explaining them well, so I'm going to really try to make sure I explain it, though I do think it's an easy enough game to understand. All right. The game is called The Magic Rule of Three, okay? A la Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Sure. I'm going to ask you some fun trivia questions about words and phrases that are repeated three times. So I'll give you little hints. Whoa. But you're going to have to just give me the word that is repeated three times. Make sense? You don't have okay, to say yeah, it three times unless you want to. But oh, of course I will. Are you nuts? Of course I, I will. I think this is going to be hard, but but okay. fair is what I think. And I'm not always right. The audience sometimes says I have um, unfair games of our guests. Well, we'll I, I don't uh, I, I don't care. So it's like I don't uh, – this game – I. What a what you know, a spectrum it can be. Josh Sagara, when he played this game, was sweating and like punching his computer screen when he got right answers. Alex is going to sit back and relax the body. It's a very different body than we're getting. Is it? Josh. By the way, I went to school with Josh. I was in an acapella group with Josh Sagara. You better. And and that he is the the definition of like the most human sunrise oh. of a human being on the planet. And we, if, you, if, if people listening haven't seen the other two, you have to, you, you must to. for him. I mean, for everybody, but he's That's such a standout. The other two. Here we are advertising other people's shows on this. Podcast. Oh, I'm sorry. It's ridiculous. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah, but yeah. Josh and I played basketball together on an intramural basketball team oh, nice. for many years in New York. And he is as competitive as you would imagine he is in basketball as well. And very Love good. it. Okay, here we go. We're into the game. There's a little okay. mini rounds here. The first one, these are all going to be little phrases, little words, no no other big theme to this, okay? We're just getting warmed okay. up. Okay, sure. so this, when repeated three times, can mean either etc. or shut up, depending how you say it. When repeated three times, it can mean etc. or shut up. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah is correct. You're one for yeah. one. Alex. Oh, and we got a hand clap. He's a, a little bit of caring's coming. We love it. Okay, here we go. It feels good. It feels good to win. It's good to start off with number one, it feels good. Now you can only go down from here. I'm or's sure I will. people, or's men, or's people seemingly need this word repeated three times in order to get any movement going. Perhaps it's because they are so existential. Did you say oarsmen? Oarsmen. O A R S. She, exactly. Or as people is what I said, but it's a kind of a made up word. Stroke. Mm, we're going for a row, row, row. Row, oh. row, row your boat is what I was going for. I thought stroke, that was stroke, too stroke. easy. I thought that no. was too easy. They're starting off easy, easy and they get harder. They get harder, Alex. Okay. I, I thought it was good. Okay. This syllable has no meaning on its own, but when repeated becomes a Cuban dance and something you can shout when doing that dance. Okay. It's Not one even. syllable? One syllable. Single syllable, repeated three times, becomes a Cuban dance and something you could shout when doing that dance. It's one syllable. That's mm-hmm. what's killing me. I mean, it'll um, be three syllables when you say it three times, obviously. No, I understand that. But the mm-hmm. single word is one syllable. It's just syllable. one times three is three. I want you to know that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I'm We're going sorry. With I don't. 
Cha cha cha. Cha cha cha. Was the right answer. See, Hard. This is but... uh, this is no, this is easier than I'm making it. This no, is... when you're looking at the answers on paper, it looks easy, but it's not always it's not easy to get there. All right. We're moving. <laughs> you know what? You're different. right. When you don't have the answers in front it's of you, harder. it's very difficult. It's very hard. Yeah, yeah, much I harder. This up, so of course easy. I think it's oh, yeah. okay. Um, this is our sports round. Here we are, Alex wearing an OKC Thunder sports hat. Um, <laughs> the phrase for three goals in a row in hockey does not involve a tip. Now, this is not repeated three times. This is just a trivia question. The phrase for three right, this, goals in hockey. Yeah, that's a hat trick. That's a hat trick. Correct. This I didn't know you were someone in sports, so this part's going to be easy. The phrase well, I will see. for three strikes in a row in bowling is this delicious country. Yes, it's a turkey. Wow, I'm not, I would not have known that. Good for you. Two well, let me two tell you, I can tell you this. We did Broadway bowling. Broadway bowling oh. is a big part of the Broadway community. You do Broadway softball, Broadway bowling, and Broadway bowling is the reason I know about a turkey. Alex, you're looking at uh, two years ago, not, not raining, but was for a while raining champion of the Broadway show, late, show league. So believe me. I know a little something. Of, bo- of bowling? No, the Broadway show Softball League. Not bowling. Oh, no, 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 no. Congratulations. Right, Thank you, Alex. Thank you. I wanted that. Okay. The phrase for three outs in a row in baseball or softball is not something you need to get dressed up for. Three outs in baseball. Three three outs in baseball? Yeah, or softball, if you choose. Wait, what was the last clue? It's not said? something you need to get dressed up for. This is just creative. I had a little something creative. No, I know. I want to. I'm. I'm thinking what it could. Three outs in a row is the end of the inning. An inning, <laughs> yes. So it's not an outing. You know, it's not something you need to get dressed up for. Oh, it's an Come inning. Come on, okay. be with me. I'm getting creative with the clues. I'm trying that. to no. help you. You know, that's really good. I like that. All right, dare we do some Shakespeare? A Shakespeare edition. Here we sure, go. We Shakespeare do whatever edition. we want. This word repeated three times in the Scottish play is separated by a pesky little and. It's an odd word to lead with when in a reflective mood. Tomorrow. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Well said. Okay, great. This three times repeated word in King Lear is famously bantered between Lear and Cordelia. It is impossible to describe and yet instantly understood if it exists at all. I have no idea. Mm, The word is nothing. Nothing? No. Nothing, my lord. Nothing will come of nothing. Speaking nope, I end. didn't have that at all. Okay, I great. I, I, I would I, never have had that. I could have gotten you to there with the, it can be funny too, because you said nothing can be funny. You, you had a little clue there. Okay, this <laughs> three times repeated word in Hamlet is the very makeup of this question. He answers it to Polonius uh, as a little extra. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, it is the makeup of this very question. Yes. Um, it's it, it has to do with the, you're talking about poor Yorick? Mm, it's not. No, I'm, I'm on the wrong. I don't know. It's they, words, words, words. He says words, words, words. All right, we're gonna like, do. You're sort of, you're sort of a, like a little bit of the host of. Um, uh, what's the one where the host is kind of mean to you? No, kind of like, Simon. Kind of like from American Idol. No, the weakest link. Sort of you like, are you the weakest have, link. You have like a little bit of like a little sardonic, You've little, gotten it like wrong. cutting little jab that you give to every wrong answer that I really have enjoyed. And that I mean that genuinely. Fully intentional. Um, pop culture. <laughs> this three times repeated word might evoke a 70s era TV show or it might evoke a Zoom meeting. Three times repeated name. Uh, a, Zoom, a Zoom meeting. Uh, uh, with many boxes, if that helps. Zoom meeting with many boxes. 
<laughs> I don't have it. We're going for Marsha, 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 if we ever did the Brady Bunch. Shout out. We currently have an MTCA student who is Marsha, Marsha, Marsha on RuPaul's Drag Race. Shout out to you. Is that right? Marcia. Yeah. What a small world. Okay. Rock the, up. The, this three times repeated word might have better said, what might have better been said one less time to a birdie if you're more into musical theater than 90s boy bands. Three times I mean, repeated word. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye, bye, bye. Of course. Bye, 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 bye. Of course. I went to see the NSYNC No Strings Attached tour, and it was the best concert of my life. The, you're more more in sync than Shakespeare. We're learning about you, Alex. We're learning. Yeah, we're yeah, digging yeah. in, and we're learning. I'm very layered. The Office popularized, popularized this three times repeated word, which describes an optimal solution for Michael Scott and something DJ Khaled knows a little something about. <laughs> um... Uh... An optimal solution for Michael Scott. (laughs) No idea. This is great. It's a win-win-win, win-win-win negotiation. If you ever watch The Office, this is I. I I don't watch it as religiously as like some people in my family, but the DJ Khaled thing, I would have no idea. All he does is win-win-win, no matter what. He's got money on his mind, and he's got some other things um, that he wants to talk about too. I don't know. I don't know if I'm a DJ Khaled guy. Let's wrap with musical theater. We've our last one is musical theater. These are not particularly (laughs) hard, though. I'll say very easy. A lot of repetition in musical theater. You may know this. Um, This iconic titular phrase is repeated at the end of Sondheim's Sondheim's company's seminal number, and is something you could not accuse Sondheim of. Being alive. Being alive is correct. Being alive. <laughs> that is the that is the worst way to end that question. <laughs> this month is iconically repeated three times in a carousel song and went viral when Leslie Uggams stumbles around with it. Yeah, Joan, Joan, Joan. Joan, Joan, Joan. See, that's where the right yeah. age. You're the right. I was like, we would have watched this video when oh, it was yeah. YouTubing yeah, was, back in the day. That was, it was a ringtone, I imagine, at one point. <laughs> I'm sure. All right, last but not least. This titular phrase is repeated three times at the end of a Valjean song in Les Mis. It might be said by a third base coach or a proud new father. <laughs> That's great. These are great questions, and it's excellent. It's bring them home, and bring I love home. it. That's fantastic. Coming down three for three on the by musical the way, theater section. That went sports and musical theater. Sports and musical theater, you crush. Pop culture, okay. Shakespeare, uh, ishy, iffy. The rest was iffy, but pretty good overall. You've won the game. You've done enough to win the game for sure. I feel like I feel like on podcasts, if you play a game, even if you get all the answers wrong. Usually the host goes, you won the game. You, you've won. You've won. There's no losing and winning. You get yeah, you yeah, get yeah. triple the salary we're paying you for being on this podcast. Thank you. Uh, Thank you very um, much. Um, talk to me about, so uh, I want to hear a little bit about what you're here to plug. And also maybe, you know, just your relationship with social media, plugging <laughs> in general. Like what, how, what is Alex Brightman in the world of, I'm jumping on podcasts. How, how do you sort of get your brand out to the world and plug things that you're doing? And what is your relationship with that process? Uh, my relationship with social media used to be pretty okay, pretty amicable. Uh-huh. Um, and then with sort of with a bit of uh, your star rising a little, there becomes that sort of culture of like people want to see you succeed and then they want to mm-hmm. cut you down and they want to mm-hmm. see. So I did experience enough of that, which wasn't a ton, um, but just enough invasion, invasion or invasive kind of like stuff, which to really no fault of a ton of people's, I think it's just a lot of like, parasocial relationshipy kind of stuff that mm-hmm. just didn't work with me. And that's, it works with some and, and they were being genuinely kind. And I, so I pulled away from social media. Um, but I think that because of how my career started and is going, I 
haven't seen a dip in uh-huh. what I've been able to achieve and accomplish without it. So I think I kind of hit a very lucky little time there. Um, but when I do, I mean, the only thing I have social media wise that you can find is an Instagram that I do um, a couple of Instagram lives on when I do these kind of mm-hmm. live signings for the cartoons that I'm on. Uh-huh. Um, so you can, I mean, tag me, I guess, at on Instagram, uh, Brightman some say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's it. But you won't find, I don't post on it. I just, you know, do... You do these little lives, you do whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So I, the way I get myself out there is I get myself out there. You know, it's like, I think that it's, I don't, uh, post pictures of what I'm doing. I just go do stuff. And Mm -hmm. and if, and if it works, it works. Uh, I, my, my downtime is very precious to me now. And so my downtime is no longer looking at other people wishing I was them. So true. But here you are to promote a little something. So plug away. Talk to us about what what people need to hear about. Well, this is, I mean, the, the I've been doing a, a full day of this, which has been really fun um, because we recorded it a minute ago. Uh, Lou Berger, who is, you know, Keith, uh, Keith, Alex and Huey for the people that know the fans. Uh, and, and if you know the Try Guys and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. we got a chance to meet during Beetlejuice. And then they sort of became like, I'd say like diet texting buddies, like not all the time, but enough. And. Not they about diets. Me. You're just saying light. You didn't like do a, a light texting okay. relationship. It wasn't yeah. like a, a you know your my accountability buddy on <laughs> like sharing Iozempic or whatever. Yeah, that's right. No, no, don't try something. Um, or do I don't or know. do I don't, I don't, I, yeah I don't care. I have no stake in the company. Um, but w- they just thought I was funny, and I, the feeling was mutual. And when they had uh, their group, Lou Berger did this show called The Wizard of Friendship mm-hmm. uh, off Broadway, and. I was so proud of them because it was so cool to go from like being these internet kind of influencery, like, you know, content creators to like wanting to do theater. Mm-hmm. I'm on board with that hundred percent. And so they asked me to do a cameo. They asked me for advice about the show. I did a cameo in the show, uh, which was fun. And one kind of one matinee silliness. And then they asked me to be on this album of the show, which I found to be extremely flattering. Uh, me and Wayne Brady and a couple other fun people are, on the album. It's super silly. It's very much their type of comedy and brand. Um, I play a character named Flim Flam, the sausage man, Mm. which is easily, it's gotta be the best character name I've ever had in anything. (laughs) For sure. Um, From Bach to Dewey to Flim Flam, the sausage man. Yeah. And it's just, it's coming out this month, the album, and it's it's super fun. I, I implore you all to listen to it. There were some absurd songs to the point of lunacy. Um, I'm on it a few times singing a very funny sort of coup de théâtre kind of song, a mm. bit of a twist, which I won't spoil for you. Mm-hmm. Um, do we know yeah, how it's available? I mean, Is it available on online? Are I think people it's downloading everywhere it? you listen to music. I think it's literally going to be on every platform where music is available to you. That's where you can find it. And you just Lou Berger, the wizard of friendship. And it's a story of, you know, friends becoming friends and uh, rediscovering their friendship. But it's extremely silly. And as I like to say, if you learn anything from this show, you've done it completely wrong. Uh, it's just a lot of fun. And it's just, it's a, I know they already have a big cult fan base and, and, and well-earned, but I think this will only elevate it. I love it. Well, that's certainly not true of the show. If you learn something from the show, you're doing it right, is what I say. Oh, yeah. Um, definitely. And I'll, I'll throw my last question to you, which is just any advice for those um, young people out there who are trying to follow in your footsteps and maybe not be an exact replica of an Alex Brightman, but to to live an Alex Brightman-like life. Um, what advice would you give to those young people as they sort of pursue their their career? This goes back to the college thing. Because um, this, and I, I think it's good to wrap it up this, this way, is that college, you know, didn't work for me, but that 
does not mean it won't work for you. And all the learning you do is not the gospel. There are no true experts in theater. Mm -hmm. And so it's up to you to really be your own kind of sieve. You know, we've been talking about a lot, but to see what works for you, because just because something really works for somebody, um, it may not even close to work for you. So it is about kind of this tool belt that you hear about in, Mm -hmm. in college a lot and just making sure that it looks like yours and being okay that you don't have the thing the other person has. But the other thing about college, the advice that I have that is vital, and especially as someone who dropped out of college, and I think this is important coming from me, is that one of the things I think I would have gained more of were I to have stayed and done better is college is a good place not only to learn, but to get this backbone group of friends that will lift you up when you are in bad places because theater is no guarantee and theater is a hobby that turns into a passion and passions can break your heart. Hobbies is easy. You're in community theater. Yeah, it's a weekend of shows. When you decide that you're going to go to college and invest in yourself as an artist, it's risky and it's heartbreaking. So when you go to college, yes, learn. Yes, all that. But be with people, encourage people, be loving, learn how to be a good friend because later that pays off in dividends if you just are lonely and you want to talk to somebody about not booking something. Mm. It just makes it easier when you're not alone. And so I had to kind of like scrounge together some friends after those two years that I didn't have in Mm. college. Um, And boy, am I glad I did. But I think that college is such a good place to find those friends. So don't waste that part of it. Find time to make friends. So well said. And, and something we talk about a lot of like with our alumni of like find your community, whether it's yes. from college, whether it's ho- however you do it, but you cannot survive in this industry without a community. You, know? you don't act alone. You don't audition alone. You do almost nothing alone mm-hmm. in this business. And so to think that you do is crazy. So the more people, wonderful, honest people that you surround yourself with, I think it's just a better go, even if it doesn't go well. Yep. And once you have a child, you don't go to the bathroom alone anymore, Alex. I'm telling you, nothing <laughs> well, is alone. I mean, I just have this guy. I just, I just have... Um, oh, yes. I just have... For the listeners, this is a beautiful dog curled. He couldn't care less about this game in the same way that Alex didn't care also completely. He just cares cares about me peeing Mm. and um, not me peeing, (laughs) him peeing. Specifically, Um, Alex peeing. He goes to the bathroom with me as well. I can't think of a better place to end this show. Um, (laughs) Alex, thanks so much for the time today. This was such a pleasure, man. Heck yeah, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Alex. I know you're all shocked, shocked, I say, that I'm not expanding that sports and taking care of yourself metaphor, right? I was like on a roll. I probably got about another 10 minutes of all the different basketball players he could have been. I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to keep you on your toes. But of course, you're not going to be too surprised that I am going to talk more about process. Do I ever talk about anything else? In that I really enjoyed the way Alex talked through his trial and error of his process. Obviously, everyone's process is their own, both if you're looking at your college pieces, working on auditions, or developing a role. But especially when you're talking about comedy, there's something really cool about the way Alex discusses, and I think really truthfully lives out, the kind of throwing paint against the wall approach. It isn't for everyone, and I think depending on what show it is or what it calls for, there is something sometimes to having some discernment as you get more advanced. Like I remember in school being really annoyed by some actors who would always be like stubbornly making quote unquote wrong choices as like this intellectual exercise and it was like slowing up their scene partners. But I would say 
For those of you who think that the way Alex approaches things is a bit terrifying, or he used the word dangerous, there's almost certainly something you could take from it in a good way. I mean, are you never trying anything that feels wrong in your exploration of the material? It's worth a try. Not that the point, of course, is to do something quote-unquote wrong. And of course, there's no such thing as right and wrong in subjective art, right? But that in holding on to what you are certain is quote-unquote right, you are likely limiting yourself to the fullness of all the possibilities that are in your pieces or that are in your roles. You don't have to necessarily be throwing yourself on the ground for all your bits like Alex talks about, but in pushing your comfort zone, you're likely going to discover some interesting possibilities. Or as Alex says, you'll at least have learned some things that the piece is not. And that's a kind of cool discovery as well to be like, cool, I spent, I went all the way down that avenue and none of that works. Moving on. I'm going to try different avenues. On the flip side, I really like his advice of trying to trust that first instinct and keep the gold, right? To hold on to what works well when you know you have something. All of this experimenting and playing and discovery, it's all the stuff that we always are talking about. It becomes a bit meaningless if in all of your rehearsals, you were truly to completely erase the Etch-A-Sketch each time and hold on to absolutely nothing that had happened in all the previous times, right? You want to be able to build without locking things in, but to be able to build. And I think the ability to truthfully do something that works again and still make it like new is such an impressive skill. And that itself really takes practice. So often the note I'm giving young actors at this particular point in the process, you know, after they've been working on the material for three months or for a year, however long it's been, is to try to re-infuse the verisimilitude of a human being talking to another human being, to check back in with that first instinct, that base level humanity of how it read right off the page. You deepen the work, you explore it, and you stretch the limits of what's there. And then so often the next step in kneading that dough is just to simplify it. To add back in those quotidian obstacles of you know, what would it be like if I were really saying this to my overbearing mother? Or, or how would I actually pursue this tactic if I were talking to my actual friend who I actually know and who I think is kind of cute? Right? What would that actually do to me if I was just simply communicating? So often that trust in the simplicity and the work that you've done and in that first instinct is letting the piece be heard like it's the first time, that is the final unlock that you're going to keep coming back to and coming back to as you deepen the work. And then you're going to go, okay, but just distrust the work and just say it and just talk to this person. Well, that's it. Another episode of Mapping the College Edition produced by Megan Cordier. Please like and subscribe us where you know you're supposed to. It's not too late for those belated wedding gift rating and reviews. We'll still accept them even after the day itself. Check us out at mtca.nyc if you want more information on MTCA or on all of our social platforms. To my young artists out there mapping their journeys, what kind of game show host do you think I am? You are the weakest link. Goodbye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.